afternoon from the KLX Studios in Berkeley, California. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grog. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up from today's shows, methylating brain, pure life. In addition, we'll be joined by Mr. William Urey, who will discuss the power of a positive no. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Berkeley Grog Science Show. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? So I'm going to start off with this week's Animal Fact of the Week. These are so amazing. Actually, it's just a Chinese proverb. Okay. But it goes something like, fish do not live in pure water. Apparently you need a little salt and other microbes and bioorganisms to sustain the whole ecosystem. Saying that nothing can be pure in life? I guess so. But it turns out scientists have been producing pure things in the lab. Uh-huh. One of the more interesting ones is they've produced pure light. Pure light. Yes. Regular radiation is a combination of, of light at different frequencies, right? Mm-hmm. And lasers are a stream of photons of the same frequency, right? But it turns out if you look at that stream of photons, it's actually not completely uniform. It's sort of like rain. Sometimes there'll be a little bit higher density, sometimes a little bit lower density. And that noise makes certain types of measurements very difficult to do. For example, detecting gravitational waves. Mm-hmm. So scientists at Max Planck University have figured out a way to produce a stream of photons so that the, the intensity is uniform. Okay, so basically you have a steady stream of photons coming right, out, right? Right, and it's called a squeezed light. <laughs> this is now the standard in terms of purity in light. Oh, okay. So can we be buying lasers with these pure streams? Probably kind of expensive right now. Ah, can you really put a price on pure light? Yeah. I don't think you can. <laughs> How pure this light is, is in terms of the signal-to-noise ratio, it's 10 times better than the best lasers we have so far. So, uh, good stuff. So, uh, this has some implications with cryptography or encoding mm. information at these photonic levels. So, this is really cool work, and it was carried out by the Max Planck Institute for Gravitational Physics, and it was reported online at physorg.com. Alrighty, from pure to not so pure, the brain. My thoughts are not. I've been trying. I've been, you know, meditating, but I haven't been methylating enough. Methylating? Yes. That's some of your molecules there? Well, the methyl group is the uh, carbon with three hydrogens, and that can be attached to one of the DNA base pairs, adenosine. And this actually serves to turn on and off genes in various uh, brain tissue, in oh, various tissues. Okay. It hadn't been known if this was the case in certain brain regions, and now researchers led by James Potash of Johns Hopkins University have investigated the methylation patterns of genes in various brain regions mm. and shown that it varies depending on what part of the brain you're in. So this just suggests that to specify different parts of the brain is, in fact, methylation of genes. So is this something that's coded by some other gene, or is it somehow property of these genes? There's methylating enzymes, which then go in and methylate some genes, and of course it's environment which then signals what uh, genes get turned on and off by this methylation process. Uh-huh. 
been known for a long time in different parts of the body that this occurs. It really hasn't been looked at in the brain, and so one researcher, psychiatrist Shahram Akbrain of University of Massachusetts has a little dig by saying one could say neuroscience is just catching up with the rest of the field. So does this mean that methyl alcohol is good for you? <laughs> Not if you want to live. <laughs> So-called wood alcohol, which is caused blindness in people, right? Right, and that's because the enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase uh-huh. converts it to formaldehyde. So uh-huh. you essentially get... Kills your retina, huh? And uh, other things. Well, formaldehyde is what's used as embalming. Anyway, fascinating stuff. It was published in a recent edition of the American Journal of Human Genetics. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. You're listening to the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, William Urey will join us to discuss the power of a positive no. So stay tuned. Science Show. Well, in the increasingly hectic pace of our daily lives, the ability to choose the projects we become involved in becomes increasingly difficult, largely due to our inability or ability to refuse requests politely. But is there a solution to this dilemma? Well, joining us today on the Grox Science Show to discuss this issue is Mr. William Urey. Mr. Urey is the world-renowned negotiator, mediator, and best-selling author whose works include Getting to Yes and Getting Past No. He also directs the Global Negotiation Project at Harvard University. His new book, The Power of a Positive No, How to Say No and Still Get to Yes, explains the art of the polite refusal. Mr. Urey, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. It is my pleasure, Charles. It's really our pleasure, and I, I think this is really a very fascinating book, one that I think a lot of people are interested in, mainly because daily we're confronted by situations we'd prefer not to get involved with. How do we actually get around this sort of situation? Well, we, what we tend to do is recognize that we fall into what I call the 3A trap, which is the first A is accommodation. We say yes when we want or mean to say no, and many of us fall into that trap, myself included. We're afraid of hurting the other person's feelings. We say, yes, we want to please. Or we do that for a while, and then we get fed up with that, and we fall into the second A, which is to attack. We do say no, but we say no somewhat aggressively or offensively and hurt the relationship, damage the prospect of a potential deal of some kind, and then we feel badly about it, and we then lapse into the third A, which is to avoid. We say nothing at all. We don't say yes, we don't say no, we don't engage the issue. And we go around a little bit like a rat in a maze between accommodation, attack, and avoidance. And the way out is what I try to outline in the book. It's, it's a, what I call a positive no. It's somewhat of a paradoxical concept, but that's it. Hmm, I see. And so uh, because of all these different traps that people fall into, uh, a lot of tension kind of arises in, in sort of the relationship. Then. Right. And that, that could be at your, in your personal life, in your work life, as you mentioned, you know, in saying no to projects, <laughs> or, or it could be in the, in, in the larger world. Hmm. Is there just sort of a reason why we fall into these traps? Well, I, I think it's because we live in an interconnected universe uh, where you know relationships matter, and so we're afraid to somehow hurt the relationship. And yet, 
what I find is those people who are able to master the art of what you call polite refusal of a positive no are able not only to show respect for themselves, because that's what saying no is, it's really respecting yourself, your priorities, your needs, your values, and so on. But in a curious way, they actually elicit the respect of others, because you know, no, no one respects a doormat, as it were. <laughs> and actually, by honestly conveying what's going on for you, you can actually improve the relationship rather than destroy it. I see. How do we get to a positive no, then? Well, a positive note, very simple, very simply, it's a three-step process in its core simplicity, and then obviously it's not always easy to carry out, but essentially it's the recognition that no doesn't need to be negative. Uh, instead of starting from no, a positive no begins with a yes, a yes to what you want. So that, for instance, if you're saying no to your, if you're saying no to your boss, your boss has asked you to work through the weekend on an important project, and... So rather than just focus on the no, focus on what's the underlying yes, which is I have an important family commitment that I can't break. <laughs> and then the second step is to move into a no that is very neutral, respectful, no edges, just very matter of fact. So I can't work this weekend. And then instead of ending there on a no, which is what we often do, you end on another yes, which is you make a positive or constructive proposal so I can't work this weekend, but here's what I can do. I can work overtime this week. I can ask Joe and Mary to help. We can defer another priority so this can get done. In other words, you come up with a constructive proposal that solves the problem. So basically it takes that elemental structure of a yes, no, yes. In a sense, it's trying to find out what underlying reason for the request is working right. with. Right. I mean, we all had this, you know, from, from childhood, you know, had this experience with our parents. And the parent says, no, why? Because I said so. <laughs> and when I ask people, you know, what's the worst no you ever received? A lot of them remember that parental no because there was no reason. It's a sign of disrespect. There's nothing given. But it's also, it's important for you. It's not just to find a, a reason but it's to find what is that deep underlying motivation in you, that core value in you that you're trying to protect by saying no, because that will give you the strength and the courage and the confidence to say no when it's difficult. And it will also signal to the other side that you're not so much rejecting them as you are affirming something that you need. I see. So that first yes in terms of what is important to you, uh, people sort of uh, overlook. They do. They do. They, they kind of get hung up on the no and not realizing that actually no can just be a different way of saying yes. No is a way of protecting a yes. That you have an important project, your project, your passion that you want to protect. You know, in life we need to focus. And in order to protect that, like, like writing a book or, or, or carrying on a project of some kind, it requires you to say no a thousand times to other things. So in order to say yes to the right things, it requires us to say no to, to a thousand other things in order to create the time and energy and focus to focus on what's truly important to us. I see. Do you think a lot of people just don't pay attention to, uh, I guess, their core values then? I think so. And I think what, what happens, particularly in the Internet age, you know, we, our inboxes are full. It's very easy to get distracted. And it's also very easy to kind of react impulsively. Uh, in order to deliver a positive note, it means you've got to take a little step back from the situation because accommodation, that's a reaction. You know, it's an impulsive reaction without thinking. Attacking is often an impulsive reaction. Avoidance is an impulsive reaction. And instead, we, we get an email that we don't like. We instantly compose a reply and hit the reply button, or what's worse, we hit the reply all button. And then it goes to everyone, and conflicts start to escalate. 
And maybe the most important button on the screen there is save as draft. <laughs> In other words, you compose it, you save it as a draft, you take, you take a walk around the block, you go for a workout, you take a deep breath, whatever you do to kind of you know, get into a focused, centered state of mind, and then you take a look at it and say, now what's really going to advance my objective here? What is really the best way to my goal? And often as not, you'll hit the delete button and deliver a no much more positively. I think part of the issue also is that in order to come to that positive uh, yes in a way, it, it requires a bit of creativity at times. It, it does. It does. In fact, uh, creativity is very much needed these days. I mean, my field is negotiation. And I would say, you know, creativity, the ability to imagine and come up with creative, to brainstorm creative solutions that satisfy your basic interests and also respect the other side's is key. It's key. And we all have that creativity in us, but we often just check it at the door when it, you know, we, we put it into our projects, but we don't put it into our relationships. <laughs> uh, so how does one de deliver a firm but polite no? First, think about what your yes is. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're coming from a, that, that's what will give you the firmness. If you can say, my wife, for example, saying no to my son, he's riding his bike without a helmet. Take a moment. What are you saying yes to? Safety, you know, personal safety. So then that's where you're coming from. And then the no is just very matter-of-fact. You're just drawing a line. It's not a jagged line to hurt the other person. It's not angry. It's not a wishy-washy line, a wavy line. It's simply a clean, clear line. And then it's immediately followed up with some kind of positive proposal, handing my son the, the bicycle helmet or whatever, something that constructive that advances you towards the goal that you want. Hmm. Uh, there are a lot of interesting examples. One that a lot of people are asked for oftentimes is uh, borrowing money. How does one handle that? Yeah, well, borrowing money. I mean, one of the things that I find useful is, you know, rote phrases. And one phrase is, you know, I have a policy, which is, you know, I have a personal policy. I, have a, I don't loan money to friends. Something that you can anchor yourself in that signals to the other side that it's nothing to do with them. It's nothing personal. It's just it signals commitment to the other side that you're not going to budge either. So something like that can often, I find, can often be helpful. And the other thing is if they push you and they'll push you and they'll say, well, why, why not? You know, because people tend, you know, sometimes they manipulate. The ability to use an anchor phrase, a simple anchor phrase that you can continually just repeat back and realizing that, that sometimes the simpler you keep the reason, the better. The fewer reasons, the better. Having one reason is more powerful than having five. <laughs> uh, gives the other person less uh, things to argue with, right, too? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you, you get a lot of uh, questions about various situations. What do you think are the most common ones that come up uh, that people ask you about? Well, I would say one is, you know, how do I say no to someone who's more powerful, mm. and, like my boss? So, and, and so there, I think why it's so important is to prepare your no and to think through what you might call your plan B. What am I going to do if the other side doesn't accept my no? What if the boss won't take no for an answer? <laughs> they insist that I work that weekend. Then if you can sort of think it through, and say, well, what, you know, how important is this family commitment? You know, would, am I willing to really stand up for my boss? And what's the worst that could happen to me? Maybe I could be fired. Am I willing to take that risk? And you, you understand. You say, well, I could get another job. I could, you know, do this. I could do that. Or the you really think about it. The boss isn't going to fire you. Having really thought through your plan B, then when the other side's pressure comes on and they threaten you and they try to get you off your no, you can just very calmly... Remember, you've got a plan B that will give you the confidence 
to stay true to your underlying yes and therefore to your no. Hmm. So again, a bit of preparation is key, I guess, in all these Preparation situations. is key, absolutely. Hmm. Even if it's only five minutes, there's no, no substitute for a little bit of preparation. Hmm. So you also have a bit of history in, in sort of a broader context as a negotiator. How often do these situations arise in terms of much uh, grander negotiations that you well, encounter? Well, these situations arise every day. I mean, if you think about it, I, I work in conflicts often where there are wars. I'm just headed off to the Middle East right now. And if you think about it, in every destructive conflict, be it at work or in the world in the Middle East, <laughs> especially in any kind of violent conflict, what's the essential message that people are delivering to each other? It is actually no. I mean, that's what the Israelis are saying no to the Palestinians. The Palestinians are saying no to the Israelis. And back. And so, to me, one of the challenges is, okay, the no's are often very destructive. So can we reshape the no's as positive no's that actually lead to constructive agreements lead to constructive negotiation. And so I find the same principles apply whether you're talking about negotiating with toddlers or negotiating with uh, dealing with terrorists. <laughs> uh, well, I, I am curious, how did you uh, yourself become interested in this whole area? Well, I got my PhD in anthropology, actually, which mm. is the study of sort of human beings and human nature, human behavior. And uh, one of the things I noticed was there was a lot of conflict, and <laughs> whether on a small scale or on a large scale, I was I grew up in the generation, you know, the, as we all did, uh, under the threat of possibility of a nuclear war. And so it got me thinking, there's got to be a better way out. There's got to be better ways of dealing with our differences and using our technology for creative purposes rather than using it to actually put the world itself at risk. So what do you think are some of the main challenges that people face then in terms of trying to get to the positive? No. Well, I think the, f the, the main challenge, actually, the main difficulty has nothing to do with the other side. It has everything to do with ourselves. Mm. And it's our human, very human tendency to react. In other words, to act without thinking. Because it's by reacting to situations that we're going to fall into the trap of accommodating, saying yes when we want to say no, or of attacking saying no very offensively or of avoiding. And so the ability to, I like to use the metaphor of go to the balcony. Almost imagine yourself that you're on a stage. Part of your mind goes to a mental balcony overlooking that stage where you can get some perspective. You can see the big picture. You can think about what is it that I am truly want out of the situation? What's my goal? What's my objective? Because I find that much of the time, we shoot ourselves in the foot. We actually behave in ways that go contrary to our own interests. So the ability to go to the balcony and to act and to be proactive, and a positive no is, is a proactive no in pursuit of your interests. Uh, how do people get to that state then? Everyone has their, 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 their favorite methods. Uh, some people, it's to take a couple deep breaths. Some people, it is to work out, you know, go for a walk around the block, buy some time instead of immediately responding, you know, save his draft on the email screen, as I mentioned. <laughs> just whatever, it, whatever you can do just to take a time out. It could be five minutes, could be sleep on it overnight, but think about it before you act. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm curious then just to maybe close, uh, if you have any uh, final resources that people can uh, consult for uh, getting to a positive no. Well, there's my book, of course, <laughs> The, the Power of a Positive No. There's my website, which you can, which has some of the material on it for those who would be interested in looking at that. That's com. And, and I would also just recommend that, that people, 
it's often useful to do this, to, to, to ask a friend to be your coach. Mm. Ask your friend to keep you honest. Tell your friend, okay, I've got this situation. I'm about to say no to my boss. I don't know how to do it. And have a friend serve as your balcony, as it were, someone who has a larger perspective and keeps you honest and makes sure that you follow through on your no. Well, it's always good to have a good friend uh, like that. It is. Yeah. It is. All right. Well, the new book is The Power of a Positive No, How to Say No and Still Get to Yes. Mr. Yuri, thank you very much for joining us on the Grok Science Show. You're very welcome, Charles. And you're just listening to Mr. William Yuri discussing The Power of a Positive No. This is the Brook Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until that's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh, I rush and rush until that's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh, I rush and rush until Uh, we're ready to play the game. It is the Grokatron 5000. It is, of course, our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic yes or no. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know yes or no and a little reason why. Uh, Mr. Yuri, are you ready to play the game? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, very good. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, we do thank you for sticking around. And uh, person number one, yes or no, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> a positive no. A positive no. I would say a positive no to kind of a, a positive no and, and a yes to the apprentices who often have to suffer <laughs> uh, the consequences of being his apprentice. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I guess a prayer goes out to all of them. <laughs> all right. Number two is Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. I can't say I really know that much about Dr. Phil, but I would say a yes because he seems to help people. That he certainly does. Uh, and, of course, number three is his mentor, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey, I would definitely say a yes. She, I, she, well, she, as far as I can tell, she's helped millions of people, millions of women, millions of, of, of people uh, around the country uh, kind of develop a higher sense of their self. And uh, so from what I've heard, she's helped people. Indeed, indeed. Uh, number four is the pop star Britney Spears. Britney Spears, I'd have to say no. <laughs> a positive no again. Because, and I don't know whether it's her but, or this, all the publicity surrounding her just seems to be like a, a very big public distraction for more important issues. Well, that's certainly true, I think. <laughs> all right, and finally, number five, it is the President of the United States, George Bush. George Bush, I would have to say again, a positive no, because, and these no's that I'm giving are meant to be respectful, but in terms of just traveling around the world and seeing how the reputation of the United States has suffered enormously because of the way in which the United States is perceived as being extremely disrespectful and arrogant, 
I think in some measure owes to the to the leadership of President Bush, and I think it's uh, it's it's something that needs to be remedied. Right. Hopefully, we can rebuild that respect uh, in the world. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Ure, I do want to thank you for sticking around, playing the game, the Grokatron 5000, and of course, talking about your book, The Power of a Positive No: How to Say No and Still Get to Yes. Thank you again. You're very welcome, Charles. It was our Bye. pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now it's this week's question of the week. What's ATP? Joining us right now is Stephen Hawking with the answer. It's a pleasure to tell you what is the power of the universe. Uh, so what is the power of the universe? The power of the universe of the body. Oh, that. The ATP. Uh, alcohol, tobacco, and adenosine triphosphate. 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 Well, uh, it must get. Krebs cycle <laughs> is used to make ATP. You take sugar molecules or carbs or something and make that ATP. My power batteries have died. You better change that Duracell there. Uh, Keep going and going. Like the money. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, you can email us at grocks at hotmail.com. Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.